Good morning. Oh, wonderful. Okay, that's good. Because we can shout in church. Did you know that? We're allowed to shout. Shout for joy. So um, for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, my name is Bob Menser, and I'm one of the teaching elders here. Uh, and today uh, we are in the second part of a three-part series that is entitled, uh, the overall general title is Horizontal and Vertical Relationships. Um, and I, I always like to start with a reminder that our uh, emphasis this year is talking about the ways of God. And from Jeremiah, which has been up for, this is the second time you've seen it, and you'll see it next week, thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and there you will find rest for your souls. And God is saying to us in this passage, there is a way uh, that will benefit you if you walk in it. And it's my way. Um, and Jesus even emphasized that when he said, I am the truth, I am the way. So uh, it is important for us to look at the ways of God and not just study them as a, an academic uh, process, but rather to say, these are the ways of God. Let me and help me walk in your ways. And there's a promise there. If you begin to walk in his ways, uh, you will find rest for your soul. And uh, Jesus even, uh, I think he was quoting from that passage when he said, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And, and the emphasis there is, I want you to learn my ways and here I'm telling you that I am gentle, I'm humble in heart, um, and if you do, there's rest for you. Um, so that's um, uh, where we begin this lesson. Um, and in the scriptures, uh, we find that there is both a vertical relationship with God, and then there is a horizontal relationship. Um, in Ephesians 1.15, by way of review, uh, this sort of capsulizes that idea. For this reason, too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, a vertical relationship which exists among you, and your love for all of the saints, a horizontal relationship, do not cease giving thanks to you while making mention of you in our prayer. So uh, I just want to emphasize how important it is that if we begin to understand the ways of God, we must understand that we have this vertical relationship. And for the most part, uh, this morning's worship was intent in bringing you into that idea of how is God speaking to me? What is our relationship with him? Uh, and how is that being developed and uh, uh, fostered? Um, and here is a promise from Jeremiah, and both in Jeremiah and Hebrews. It said, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I know during our worship time this morning, we said, here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart. And if, <clears throat> if you sincerely, we're not just mouthing those words, uh, he says, okay, I'm going to put something in it. I'm going to write uh, my way in it, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and 
you don't have every need for another man to teach you again. Every man his neighbor and every man uh, his brother saying, know the Lord because we will all know him from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. And the reason you can do that is he has forgiven your iniquity, your sin, I will remember no more. And so by the cross, Jesus Christ has opened a way for us to have this intimate relationship with God. Uh, last week I talked about uh, when Mary uh, Magdalene goes to the empty tomb and she sees this guy there and she thinks he's the gardener and all of a sudden she recognizes it's Jesus and she starts clinging to him. And he said, oh, don't cling to me, cling to me, but go to your brothers and what are you supposed to tell them? Tell them that I go to my father and your father and my God and your God. And so we see this again. He's talking about a vertical relationship that is more than just a God and you. It is now a father. Your father uh, loves you, walks with you, teaches you, and yet at the same time, he is indeed God. Um, so 1 Peter says, uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Um, and it's important for us to understand that as a result of this cross, as a result of him bringing us in to call us a people, uh, we are now priests. And the emphasis here is that as a priest, you represent God that's what the priests did in the Old Testament. They represented God to the people. You are a priest, a royal priest, and your function now, because you know him, because you walk with him, because you learn his ways, are to represent him as you walk in this dark place out here. Uh, because you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, for you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received, you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So that is basically, in a summary, the, uh, the essence of our vertical walk with God. And these are just some of the things that we talked about last week, walking in light, not in darkness. We are to bear fruit. Uh, we're to increase in knowledge of him. We're supposed to, uh, we're told to walk in faith, walk in the spirit, abide in his word, abide in him. Uh, and the three Ps to praise, pray, and present ourselves. Um, so, vertical and horizontal relationships. And today, uh, we are going to talk about horizontal relationships. Now, uh, I used the Ten Commandments as the kickoff point. The first four commandments of the Ten all deal with a vertical relationship. You'll have no other gods. Um, you will not uh, carry my name in vain. Uh, you'll make no images. And uh, you'll honor the Sabbath, the rest that I, he's provided. The other six in the Ten Commandments deal with how you deal with man, how you deal with your neighbor, how you deal with your household. Uh, and uh, 
They are, honor your father and mother, not to murder, don't commit adultery, do not steal, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, and do not commit, covet your neighbor's house, or his car, or his wife, or her, your, his husband. Um, and so these are, these are, uh, these are given to us for our instruction that as we walk here, we might keep these things in mind. Now, the first thing I know that people are going to say, well, is we're not under the Old Testament law, we're under grace. And that is very true. But I'm going to give you uh, a few under grace ideas this morning. Um, and the title of today's message is called A New Household. One of the ways of God, and I don't think I would have done it this way, so it's probably better that I didn't get to do it, you know, uh, is he said he's going to build something. He's going to build something, and it's called a church. Uh, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. God is about building a church. And that church has uh, been called different things throughout Scripture. The church is, it's been referred to as the body of Christ. It's been referred to as the pillar and support of truth. It's been referred to as a city on a hill. And it's been referred to as the bride of Christ. And so if we look at these different aspects, it seems that church has more than just a Sunday. I go to church on Sunday, or in some cases, I go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and oh yeah, and then on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Um, and it becomes simply a location rather than um, a, a working out, a life-giving opportunity. Ephesians 2 tells us, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, a couple of key words that I want to look at there is that Paul begins to refer to this church as a household. And it requires a change in our thinking to get this whole process down. When you think of a household, what do you think? Well, you think of the people living in your house. You think of, you know, whether it's a spouse or whether it's your children, and you would say, well, that's, this is my household. Uh, and sometimes the household extends beyond that where you have uh, the children who have grown, moved away, been married, but you still count them as part of the overall household. Uh, and we walk down here as if that's our household. And in part, it is. But... The scripture tells us 
We are God's household. So that gives me a different perspective. That means that Matt and Cassidy down here are part of this household, this church household. Now, they may not think of that as being part of the household, but quite frankly, that's what the scriptures are going to tell us today, that each one of us together are part of a larger household. And we need to think of each other in household terms, brothers, sisters, and part of a collective building that's being built together. So I can't say, well, I don't, I don't need to do, have anything to do with Josh because he's into all of that music and I don't know anything about music, so I'm not going to have part of him. And I'm thinking, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that he's part of my household, our household. And so as a result, I need to, I should, I am required to treat him as a member of our household. And so if you look around you, look at all of the people in this congregation, God is saying, you're part of a household. And this household just happens to be this general collection of people. Now, the larger household includes all of the churches, all of the believing churches that are in our community. That's part of the larger household. Uh, but I'm really going to just deal with this household today, this horizontal relationship, this horizontal relationship that I have with Doug and Paula this horizontal relationship that I have with part of this household. God's household. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And the flag there says, Don't go to church. Be the church. And so there is a way that we are asked to conduct ourselves as part of this household. See, when you walk out the door today, part of our household is being dispersed. We take this Sunday to come together, but that is not where it needs to end. If we are part of a household, we need to understand and grow and be built together, not in isolation, and I'll really talk about isolation next week, but as a collective growth so that Lori Kelly is part of our household. I know her from our household relationship, and we can communicate on that level. It's not as if I have no idea who she is. Now, quite frankly, I fail in some of that because I, I walked up to two people today, or two couples, um, that have been here a number of times, and I said, you know, I have no idea who you are, which is to my shame. And so, I thought, we need to have a starting point because they are part of the household. They are my brothers and sisters. Let me learn something about you. And 
Oh, this isn't going to hurt. Get your, get your shoes on. Get your steel-toed shoes on. If you, yeah, you, don't know Matt and Cassidy, they're part of your household. You need to get out and say, you don't know me, Matt. You don't know me, Cassidy. Here's who I am. And I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you are part of our household. So then, Galatians 6 tells us, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those of the household of faith. See, our charge is to do good to all men, but he wants you to remember that we are part of a household, a horizontal relationship, if you will, so that we are not strangers and aliens but we are being built together. And next week, I always talk about it. next week I will talk about how we can actually be built together. This week I'm just laying the foundation. You're a household. You're part of the household. Called this the church emerges. Now, Matthew 12. Now remember, Jesus is a Jew. And as a Jew, he needs to honor his father and his mother. Now, his father's no longer in the picture. His, his real father is in the picture. But his mother is there and his brothers. And he's busy teaching. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Now, a good Jewish boy would say, Oh, mom's there. I got to go out and talk to her and my brothers, okay? Because that's who I'm answerable to. But he doesn't. He answered the one who was telling him and said, who, who is my mother? Who, who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers And we have this change in seeing what Jesus is saying about the household. The household stretches beyond just mom and dad, or mom, dad, and brothers. And it stretches to whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven. He is my brother and my sister and my mother. And he's beginning to show us that there is a relationship that we need to come into and need to understand that is part of this larger household. Now, there's a problem. The Jews had cornered the market. They had cornered the market on God. And actually, during the first five years after Christ has been risen, there is this um, I'm not sure what the word is. There's um, this superiority, if you will, 
that it still only belongs to the Jews. Evangelism was only within the Jewish area. It was only to the Jews. It was only in the synagogues. It was only, and it hadn't spread beyond the Jews. But then something amazing happens. And Peter gets this vision of this table coming down and all of this different food on it. And I don't touch that stuff. That's all kosher, he says. And God says, no, it's for everyone. Eat it all. And then he has these guys show up. And he has this dream that these guys are going to show up. And then they show up and they say, hey, you need to come down to um, Caesarea with us because we've had a vision there that you're supposed to. Well, Peter being Peter goes with them. And he goes in, and there is, there are not everybody's a Jew who's in this little house meeting. And Peter says, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to preach anyway. And so he starts to preach. And before he even gets finished, the Holy Spirit falls on that small group. And it says, all of the circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. Look out. Those, you guys are Gentiles, by the way. And actually, that's probably not a good... There are Jews, there are Gentiles, and then there are Christians. The Gentiles... We're not even allowed to eat with them. We shouldn't even be in the same building with them. They are reprehensible. And yet, all of a sudden, we're faced with this problem that the Gentiles have been brought into the household of God. How terrible! Gentiles. You know, and that then they have to have this big council meeting, and they say, well, you know, if the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, okay. And then Paul eventually becomes a, the apostle to the Gentiles. And so we begin to look at a diversity of people who are in this household. Now, it doesn't end there. Just as a... Um, picture from Revelation 5. Scripture says, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and did purchase for God from your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Wow. Every tribe and tongue and nation. This church that God's building is really diverse. Now, you want to get a picture of diversity. Oh, and it goes on to say, and you have made them to be kingdom of, and priest to, your, to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Yeah, there we are. We're priests again. Now, if you want to get an idea of this diversity, 
look to your left and to your right. More importantly, look behind you or in front of you. Go ahead, look, you talk about diversity. Look at diversity over there. Look at Joy and Joe. Woo! Diverse turkey farmers. <laughs> Who would want to be turkey farmers? No. What diversity we have. And God says, that's exactly what my church is supposed to be. It is supposed to be a household filled with diversity and filled with people who are called a household and who have interaction with one another. Now we're going to pause here in Acts 13. <clears throat> and sometimes in Scripture, you're just given a peek, peek of something, and so many times I just read over those little quick peaks. You know, yeah, blah, 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 the church at Antioch. But there's important information here in this little passage from Acts 13, verses one and two. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. I got it. Well, we have Barnabas and we have Simeon who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now I highlighted the five names that are there because it is showing us this deep diversity that has happened here in Antioch. Well, we knew who Barnabas is. Barnabas was uh, originally uh, from uh, Cyprus, and he was probably fairly wealthy because at the first conversion, he had donated and sold a piece of land and given it to the church. And then we have Simeon. And Simeon was called Niger. And the word basically does mean black. And this is a deep declaration that Simeon was not Anglo-Saxon. He was most likely a black man. He was most likely from out of northern Africa. We have Lucius of Cyrenia. We don't know a whole lot about him. Um, he, he too was probably from North Africa, but because he was from Cyrene, um, he was probably uh, part of a large congregation of Jews there. There were about 100,000 Jews who had been displaced from Rome. Uh, and so he has this background of being a fugitive. Uh, we have uh, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod. Now, wait a minute. He's out of Herod's court. So, so we have this cross-reference of people. Oh, and we have this Saul, who's a Pharisee. We hate Pharisees. 
And yet we have this Pharisee there. So we have this diverse group of people the scripture is telling us you are going to have within this church that I am building all kinds of people. All kinds. And that's what I want. Because remember, out of every tongue in every nation, God is building his household. And we can't just say, well, this is just our collective household, which it is. But we need to be able to say, as part of my household, I need to have a horizontal relationship with you so that I know a little bit about Nathan. And I know John and Jackie and can tell you one or two things about each of them. <laughs> because we're part of a united, horizontal group of people. Now, Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, says that, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. Now he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Now, it's an interesting statement. And you have to, um, you have, this is Herod's temple. Uh, and this is the one that Paul and Jesus were most familiar with. Um, it was destroyed in 70 AD. Um, but when he talks about the dividing wall, uh, that's not going to show up. Uh, can I get it that way? Nope. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I don't know whether you can see it, but here is a, a little dividing wall that goes all the way around the circumference of uh, the church. And those are a big courtyard. And those, that was called the dividing wall. And there were 13 entrances into it, but never, never, never was a Gentile to go in there. You remained, if you were a Gentile, and even if you were a believing Gentile, you were not allowed into the next courtyard. And then they had, as you entered into the temple, uh, this was the, I'm not going to, touch anything. But the next entrance in was the women's court. And that's as far as the women were allowed to go. That's it. But Paul says, this dividing line, this dividing wall that has been built has now been torn down. And Gentiles are free to enter in, just as the women are free to enter in. And that's sort of a better picture, I think. You can see the court of the Gentiles is on the right. And then beginning to go into the courtyard, that's where the, uh, both male and female could go there. Uh, but the women were limited to the next court in, which was the women's court. Um, this wall has been broken down. So there's no longer Jew and there's no longer Gentile. Um, I, if any of you can read that, good for you. Uh, in looking at, 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 at my uh, big, strong Hebrew uh, background, 
Huh. The, that says, according to what I read about it, it basically says no foreigner, and that was put at each of the 13 entrances this stone was, stone like that. Um, and it's sort of a no trespassing sign, if you will. Uh, and it, basically it says no foreigner is permitted beyond this point under penalty of death. Wow. There was really a separation. And Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says, that wall in Jesus Christ has been torn down. Don't, don't build another wall. From Acts 21, we get this great picture. And when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him, Paul, in the temple, began to stir up the multitude and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. What got them stirred up is Paul preached what he believed. And he took, and uh, uh, Trophimus is, uh, is who was with him, uh, who was a Greek, a Gentile, took him into the temple. Come on, we're going into the temple because this wall has been broken down in Christ Jesus. Well, they were infuriated. They were, they were, they were ready to put him to death because this wall, this separating wall. And so many times within our walk, we think that there's still a separating wall. And that's been broken down. And we are all of the household of God. We are brothers with one another. We are saved to community. household. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. And we heard that this morning. You were declaring, you are my God. And he has brought us into a household where we are being built together. And we cannot underestimate that we have this horizontal relationship with one another. That means that I can't dismiss Will and Joel. It means I have to embrace them and I want to know them and I want to build this together. That's what church is about. It's being built together. Oh! Somebody used it before I did. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And we have to understand horizontal relationships. Now, I threw this in, and I almost took it out, and then I said, I'll keep it, and then I thought, eh, I'll take it out, and then I said, if you were to prioritize these, and I got too many of them up there, how would you prioritize these different 
aspects of your walk, family, work, God, leisure, church family, charity, liberty, discipleship, others, me, marriage, witnessing. How would you prioritize those? And I, what I did is a Google search on what different people said about how they prioritize them, and I got so many different priorities. Uh, one thing that they were all fundamentally correct about was that they put God as the first priority, and that's your vertical relationship with him. But where do you put all of these other things, and how would you prioritize them? Now, just look at that list. What would you put as number two? What would you put as number three? Hmm. Now, the truth of the matter is, this is church, and we'd like to give Jesus answers. Oh, I would put this number two, and I would put this number three, because that's the churchy thing to do. But do you really? And how do you put them? How do you prioritize them? And they all have to do, basically, with a horizontal relationship. Now, let's look at Jesus here. Matthew 4, 21 and 22. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately, and they immediately left the boat and their father, and followed him. Now what we're not told here is what Zebedee had to think about that. But apparently, James and John thought that following him was more important than staying and finishing net mending. They didn't even ask their dad. They didn't say anything to him. Scripture just tells us they got out of the boat and followed him. And this whole idea of leaving family is not an unusual uh, aspect in Scriptures. Remember what Abraham was called to do. Leave your relatives, leave your father and your mother, go to a land that I'll show you. Elijah. Elijah comes and puts his mantle on him. And Elijah says, I'll follow you. I'm going to say goodbye to my parents, and then I'll follow you. And Elijah says, whatever. Um, obviously, we have James and John. You know, we're told right in the very beginning, thus a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And so this idea of leaving what we call family for a different family, a new household, 
is an important aspect. Jesus said from Matthew 10, don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and men's enemies will be members of his household. And he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. And again, this idea that family now becomes something different. Family becomes a new and differing household. Jesus, or Peter gets all bummed out. He says, Peter began to say to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, oh, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father uh, or children or farms for my sake or for the gospel's sake but that he shall receive a hundred times much more in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. See, Jesus is basically saying, hey, you step to follow me and join this new household you'll be given more brothers and more sisters and more mothers and more fathers than you could even think about. And it's pretty tough to think about that, saying, well, I love, I love my mom and dad, and I love them. And I'm not telling you because the scripture basically says you need to honor your father and mother. But there is a new relationship that God intends to have his church built on. And that is one in which this diverse group of people gather together and learn to love one another, learn to help one another, learn to build one another up. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. I'm starting to run out of time. Do you know the word brothers is used 220 times in the New Testament? Nicene Creed. In the year 525 A.D., you'll find this just fascinating, the, there was an undertow of questioning the deity of Christ. And at Nicena, there was a council of elders, and they created this creed that I'm about to show you. Uh, <clears throat> It was modified a couple of times uh, in the year 381 and 581. Uh, and you're probably not familiar with the Nicene Creed. You're probably more familiar with what's called the Apostles' Creed. That came along uh, about a century after this. It's really much simplified. Uh, but I want to show you what this Nicene Creed is about. 
We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And make sure, as we read along, see whether you believe all of these things. Maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, and of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and he was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic, and don't get all bummed out. Catholic means universal. One holy Catholic and apostolic church apostolic apostolic church you know what I mean apostolic there we go thank you and we affirm one baptism for the remission of sins and we look for the resurrection of the dead and to life in a world in the world to come amen man I believe all of that now one of the things about this creed, well, I'm not going to go through the summary, is that it really talks about a vertical relationship. There's not one mention of a real horizontal relationship in that entire creed. Yet, the New Testament, time and time and time and time again, talks about horizontal relationship. And so if we were to lay or borrow from the Nicene Creed and we would create our own horizontal that speaks of the household of God, it would be something like this. We believe that all members of the body should receive both agape and brotherly love from one another. And there you can see the cross-references. Do we believe that? It's talking about a horizontal relationship. We believe that each member of the body has a vital role of service to the body and should walk accordingly. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4.25. We believe that as members of this body, we should be devoted to one another in encouragement and in preference. Romans 12, Thessalonians 5. We believe that giving to one another and to the church should be with cheerfulness and not out of compulsion. We believe that as we see another member stumble or struggle, we are to, we are obligated to encourage, help, or admonish the other. 
we believe that the body is to be a light shining in this dark world and that men should see our good works and glorify our Father. We believe that we are to esteem others in our body greater than ourselves. We believe that leaders in our body are to be servants whose role is to equip the saints for the work of service and are, and are will give an account to God for their service. A horizontal belief statement would look like that. And the question is, are we just vertical relationship people? Or are we horizontal relationship people? Because I gave you eight very clear admonitions of what a horizontal relationship should look like. First John says, and this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now, pretty simple. And we are reminded from Acts 2, 42, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Teaching, fellowship, sharing a meal, and to prayer. Pretty horizontal to me. If we are to be truly a church that's being built together, we must understand that, first of all, the vertical relationship is, importantly, is important. But there is to be a horizontal relationship with which we as a body can boast, yes, we are being built together and we are beginning to walk into a horizontal relationship one with another and we are creating for ourselves a household filled with building up one another into a spiritual temple. Amen. Amen.